This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and a of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the, spirit, the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the, his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come, the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Our gracious God and Father, we come to you now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the strength and power of your Holy Spirit. And to you alone be all of the praise and the glory and the honor. We pray that as we conclude this series of teachings on the means of grace, that our desire for them would increase, that our uh, diversion, Lord, and allowing anything to stand in the way of our attendance to the means of grace would cease that you would be with us now, Lord, that you would give us listening ears, believing hearts and understanding minds, and that you would give us feet to obey. We give to you, again, all of the praise and glory and honor. It is for Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this morning, brothers and sisters, we will not be exegeting a particular passage, at least this one, but we will be giving kind of an, a conclusion to all of the things that we have been teaching over the past four weeks. And as we conclude, conclude on these teachings of the means of grace, we must never lose sight of the glorious reality that our continued nourishment is provided by Christ through the ordinary means of grace. This morning, as the word of God is going forth in your hearing. You are and you will be nourished on your journey ahead by Christ. Christ has declared in the book of Revelation chapter 2 that he walks among us. And if you can imagine even now as our seats are further apart, if you can see in your mind's eye Christ walking among his people as his word is going forth, he is presently ruling and reigning over his church as he walks among us. You will remember that we have discussed that the means of grace, they do not save us, but rather they are instruments that Christ uses for the purpose of strengthening the faith of his bride, the church. And what a joyful blessing this is as the reality for the church, that as we are looking and longing for the blessed day, when we shall be with Christ and see him face to face, we need not wait for that day in order to understand that Christ is spiritually present with us now, today, here. The Bible says in Ephesians 1, 19 through 20, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him, that is now, seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Brothers and sisters, this is what we have gathered to celebrate. We have not gathered to celebrate once a year during Easter, or twice a year if you include Christmas. We gather each Lord's Day after Blessed Lord's Day to celebrate the risen and ascended and seated, ruling and reigning Christ on high. We celebrate that Christ has become incarnate, that Christ has lived in perfect obedience, that Christ has laid down his life to die for sin, 
that Christ has risen from the grave, that Christ has ascended to his rightful place of honor, enthroned as the ruling and reigning Lord of glory. Again, if you notice the language in verse 20, Christ is now seated. Christ is seated now. Christ is ruling now. Over every dictator, Christ is ruling. Over every president, Christ is ruling. Over every queen, Christ Christ is ruling. Over every monarch, Christ is ruling. Over every virus, Christ is ruling. Over every single molecule, Christ is ruling and reigning over all things. There is nothing outside of his dominion, nothing outside of his power. Christ is all in all, ruling all. We're not speaking about an age to come. We're speaking about Christ is ruling now. Christ is seated now. And praise be to God for that. Verse 22, and he, that is God, put all things under his Christ's feet and gave him to be head over all things in the church. Brothers and sisters, what is the greatest gift that Christ has given his covenant people? As we are in this world and looking forward to the world to come, what's the greatest gift? Why, the greatest gift that we have is Christ himself. The greatest gift that we have received is that God the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes, given us a new heart, and now we see the value of Christ, don't we? Isn't this a little bit harder to see when we're sitting on our couches, comfortable, in our pajamas, Sitting, waiting for us to get reception, hearing a voice. But right now, Christ is walking among you. Right now, Christ is making what is being said from these lips true to your hearts and minds. We've been given faith to come to him. He who is seated. He who is ruling. He who is reigning. He who is present with his people. We are his body. He is our, our head. And this is so very important for all of us. To understand when it comes to the means of grace. Because if, when we attend to the preaching of the word, if when we attend to prayer, if when we come to the Lord's Supper, if when we come to the waters of baptism or remember our baptism, and we somehow believe that these are simply mundane things that have no power, that these are simply mundane things that contain no power, or that we somehow are groping in the darkness looking for Christ who's not there, then we will not receive the blessings that are attached to the means of grace that Christ has promised us. We attend to these means by faith. We attend to these means because Christ has promised to bless us in them. We attend to these means because we will grow in them and by them. And dear ones, if we don't believe that there's any power in them, if we are teaching our children, you don't need to pay attention, this is not for you, then we somehow are delusioned or don't believe that there's any power in them. You will only receive the blessings that Christ is promising you when you attend to these means by faith. Christ is ruling over his church. Christ is present with his people. And Christ is right now shepherding his flock through green pastures. It looks dark, doesn't it? When we look at sometimes our attendances and we say, the pastures don't look very green. You must remember, this is not your home. We are headed toward a celestial city. We are headed toward the eternal glory. This is not your home. Christ is feeding us. Christ is nourishing us through these particular means, even the word that is going forth now. One may say, but I cannot see him with my eyes. And I say to you, can't you? When Christ says, this is my body, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, don't you see him? One may say, but I cannot hear him. Can't you? Have you not heard the message of Christ so powerfully preached at times that when the final amen is said in the sermon, you could barely stand to your feet? Haven't you at times heard the word of God so powerfully preached that you could, after the final amen has been spoken, barely speak a word? Why is that? 
It is because the voice of your Savior Christ is speaking to you, not a man. No, not a man. The man is only the instrument. Christ himself is shepherding your soul. It's a shame that often when the preacher says his final amen, and when the benediction is given, congregations move about as though they've just finished watching their favorite TV sitcom. And not as though they have just heard the voice of their mighty Savior speaking to their souls. How do we know that we have just heard the voice of Christ? How do we know that our shepherd has just finished shepherding us through green pastures? It's not because a man has stood behind the pulpit and has yelled and screamed at the top of his lungs. Not in the least. That is not the mark of faithful preaching, brothers and sisters. That might be what we have been socialized or grown up to believe that that is good preaching. When someone comes behind a pulpit and yells and screams and spits all over the place and wipes themselves with a towel. Not in the least. I have heard people commend other ministers who were not in the least biblically accurate when they preached. Not in the least precise when they preached. And yet they commended those As being old time preachers, biblically illiterate people commending biblically uh, uh, non gospel preaching people for the greatness of their preaching. Again, calling it old school kind of preaching. The kind of preaching that is nothing more than just a style. We must not be fooled by and not just commend a style of preaching as if. Style of preaching equals good preaching. We must not be mesmerized by style. We must not be mesmerized by a certain charisma that someone might have. We must be conscious of content. More specifically, biblical accuracy. Has that man of God opened God's word and said, thus saith the Lord. Good preaching. What is it? You want to know what good preaching is? Good preaching is when the man of God takes the scriptures and with the help and dependence of the Holy Spirit exegetes and uncovers what God has said. That's good preaching. It is when he, we have been confronted with the undressed truth of God's word. That's old time. That's old school preaching. That's the kind of preaching that the apostles gave, that the prophets gave. It is when we have turned to the scriptures and we have been accurately taught by the man of God who has faithfully expounded God's word. When we have been confronted with confronted with the call to take up our cross and follow Christ. It is when it is when we are confronted to trust God, the Holy Spirit. To cut away things in our lives that do not remain, that should not remain It is when we are often angry when God's word is spoken. Because our comforts have been challenged. That's when God's word is being preached. When we say, I don't like that. It's uncomfortable. It's going to make my life change in a number of different ways. Then praise be to God, your shepherd is shepherding you. Dear ones, that's when you've heard the word of Christ. And that's what we long to hear, isn't it? You can tell now. This is different than Cisco WebEx, isn't it? How do we know what those things are that Christ has given to, to his church? There are those things that he has promised to bless. There are those things that he has ordinarily promised to use to bless and to strengthen and to shepherd his church. There are these particular ordinary means that Christ has promised to feed us with. This morning, I would like to consider with you just three points that will be used to wrap up this series And this will be a sermon, the final one on the means of grace. Let's consider our first point, the Lord's means, the Lord's means. Acts chapter 20 and verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. 
we know that we have all been commanded to gather. That there is a blessing when we gather. And we don't have to ask when we gather what we are to do. Do you know this? When we gather for worship, we are not to question or to, to wonder, now what do we do? Oh, we don't have to attempt to be creative when we gather. Or to be intuitive when we gather for worship. Christ has given us directions about what we are to do and what he has promised to bless when we gather. He has promised to bless particular means so that his people, you and I, might be nourished on our journey, listen, on our journey home. And what are those ordinary means that Christ has promised to regularly bless his people with? We've just briefly spoken on one of them. It is the ministry of the word of God. As Peter has said, we are to, as newborn babes, and my daughter is in the back drinking her milk, we are to desire the pure milk of the word. Why? So that we might grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord oh, is gracious or that the Lord is... And to sit and listen. I said to one of our dear members, I know that as the lessons were going forth in the morning and as lessons were going on in the evening... I know I'm called to believe the best, but I'm also a realist. That while the lesson was going forth, I'm sure chaos and calamity was going on in our homes. I'm sure that for some of us, we may have been tempted to cook or clean, or maybe just put the phone in our ear and go about our daily life as if the word of God was not being preached. Do you consider the word of God to be food for your soul? I want to emphasize this point, and I don't believe that I can overemphasize this point. If we believe that Christ is speaking to his people when the word of God is faithfully and accurately taught, then it must be our task to minimize or even eliminate anything that would distract us from amplifying our Savior's voice in our ears. If we believe that Christ is present among us, that he walks among us now, then we should eliminate all distractions. Leave phones in the car, unless you need to have them on you. Leave your phone in the car. Go to the restroom before we start. Bring coffee. Whatever you need to do. If Christ is speaking, we dare not be distracted. If we believe that he is walking among his churches, if we believe that he is presently instructing his churches, if we believe that He is presently feeding us through the Word, then why would we miss one bite? You know, when you are serving yourselves or preparing yourselves your favorite meal, you won't leave a bite on the, ta on the plate. It will all be gone. And if someone comes and asks you for a bite, you're irritated by them, aren't you? <laughs> this is my favorite meal. Get your own. For those of you who have been working all day, and all you want to do is come home and eat your favorite meal, and you are distracted by it, you know how irritated you are. How much more so the word of God as it is brought to his people, as it is food and sustenance for your souls. Now, I am not saying that we should be irritated by one another, no. But I am saying that we should be very careful to make sure that our attention is fully and completely on the word of God as it is delivered. If we believe that it is our duty to learn his word, to be attentive to his word, that as his word is preached, we should lean into it, not lean back. We should be on high alert. We should hang on every single word as if our lives depended on it. Now, this is no boast of men, especially the man who speaks to you now. It's a boast in the one who was promised, the one who was promised to use that man and speak through that man so that our souls might be nourished by our great high shepherd. We're to long for his word like a baby longs for milk. It is to, to be a means by which we are nourished, by which we grow and therefore mature in Christ. The ministry of the word. The reading of the word, the singing of the word, the praying of the word. This is the, the means that Christ uses to nurture his people. 
And as this takes place, Christ has promised to be with us in a unique way. God is giving His people His word. He's giving His word to us so that we might, by this instruction, have food for our journey and light for our path home. The Lord feeds His church also through the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And they are, as we've said over the past few weeks, they are a visible word for the church. Through the supper, we see the word of God unfolded. And with our senses, we taste the promises of that word. And we see that it is good. When we hold the bread and when we hold the cup, we are reminded that Christ's body was given so that we might be made whole. When we hold the cup, remember... This is the blood of the new covenant that has been offered for our sin. It is the blood that is used to ratify the new covenant. And as we hold the bread and as we hold the cup, we proclaim the life, the death, the resurrection and the ascension and the return even of Christ until He comes. There's so much said when we are holding the elements. Christ is saying so much. We are saying so much. This is not just bread and it's not just a cup. It is a proclamation of the gospel. But more than that, and also on par with that, Christ has promised that when we hold these elements and when we worship Him and remember Him and celebrate Him and look forward to Him, that He is with us in a spiritually unique way. That He is meeting with His people. Christ is saying so many things. We are saying so many things. We are proclaiming that we are His and He is ours. We are proclaiming that I believe that He is risen. And I believe that He will return. And we know that the bread and the cup do not save us. But they remind us and proclaim the message of the one who does save us. The risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ. And there is a, a similar message that is being proclaimed in baptism, isn't there? Christ is given us baptism as the new covenant sign of our union with Him. Go to Colossians if you would. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11. And the Word of God says, And in Him... You also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Baptism, it is that new covenant sign that we have been forgiven, that we have been united to Christ, and that we have been united to His body. It is the new covenant sign that it is no longer you or I who live, but Christ who lives in us. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ who saved me. Brothers and sisters, when you and I are wrestling with what it means to follow Christ, when you and I are struggling with sin, when you and I are wrestling with doubt, may I encourage you to go back to the covenant promises that are signified in the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And finally, we are given prayer as a means of grace. We are bid by the Almighty to come to His throne with confidence. Not a confidence that is rooted in our works, but a confidence that is rooted in the works of another, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have this promise that if we ask anything in His name, He hears us. And let me just encourage you, because as I begin to think about last week's lesson, I believe that this needed to be stated, and it's this, young and old, we must not allow ourselves to think that when we pray, God only hears those who are eloquent in prayer. We must not allow ourselves or be fooled into thinking that God only hears the one 
who does not stumble over his thoughts or stumble over his words or fail to quote scripture with ease. Nor should we believe that God only hears those who have powerful voices. And you know, don't you, that sometimes when we have gathered for prayer in past, there have been those who have gotten loud and all of a sudden we believe that there's more power just because of the, the decibel of their voices or the eloquence of their speech, not so, not in the least. God hears the weak. God hears the lowly. God hears the humble. God hears the meek. God hears those who are poor in spirit. God hears those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. God hears those who are peacemakers. And why does God hear all of those? It's because all of those are in Christ. And as Pastor Isaiah had said, before we stop the meeting, it is not as though God sees Christ and then sees you standing next to Christ. No, God sees you in Christ. And it is because of that glorious truth that God will hear you and I when we pray. Yes, we must strive to pray God's word. Yes, we must strive to understand His will. For it is when God, we pray according to God's will and God's word that God hears and answers our requests. But do not take for granted the most simple of all prayers. It is the prayer that Simon Peter prayed when he sunk upon losing faith in Christ when he began to see the wind and the waves as he walked on the water it was simply Lord help me and we have this promise don't we that when we pray because we are in Christ that God hears us he is present with us and he will never turn a deaf ear to those who are his for the past four weeks we have Discuss these means. Have you longed to attend to them? Have you longed to receive the blessing that is found and contained within these means that Christ has promised to bless? Have you ached by not being able to come to the Lord's Supper? By not hearing the, the sounds of the saints praying together? I pray that next week our voices will be even louder when we sing. If you have longed for attending to the means of grace, then will I ask you this? From this point forward, what will you, what will we allow to keep us from these blessings? What will stand in our way as the weeks and the months and the years the Lord tarry? Pass. What will stand in our way and prevent us from attending to the means of grace? Do you desire the word of God as a baby desires milk that we might grow? I pray that you do. Let our faith grow as we are nourished by these means on our journey home. Secondly, we have considered the Lord's means. Secondly, the Lord's day. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 9. There remains a Sabbath for the people of God. Just as there is no need to guess as to what we are to do when we gather for worship. We also do not need to guess as to what day we are to gather for worship. The Lord has given His people one day out of seven, wherein we are to partake in all of the means that God has provided for His people. It is the blessed Lord's Day Sabbath. Now, some of us uh, may be wondering, and I'll answer the question for you now. I am not going to give a defense of why the first day of the week is the Lord's Day. And I am not going to give a defense of why the Lord's Day is a Sabbath unto the Lord. 
though I could. We could discuss the fact that Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week. We could discuss the two post-resurrection appearances of Christ and how they occurred on the first day of the week, consecutive days of the week, consecutive first days of the week. I could discuss how Christ ascended to the right hand of majesty on high on the first day of the week and how Christ poured out his spirit at, at Pentecost on the first day of the week. But I'm not going to do that. I could argue for the church calling the first day of the week uniquely the Lord's Day and thus it was called and is to this day called the Lord's Day. I could argue and discuss how the church began to meet on the first day of worship. And how they began to hear the word preached on the first day. Break bread on the first day. Pray on the first day. And baptize on the first day. I'm not going to do that. We could discuss the collection that was taken up by the church on the first day. Or that how in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, John specifically calls or says that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. With the assumption that everyone knew what day that was. But I'm not going to do that. I could argue that the Sabbath does not belong to the old covenant people of God alone. The Sabbath is a moral law that has been written on the heart of men from creation. And yet, while the Sabbath covenant of the Old Testament was fulfilled in Christ, Hebrews 4.9 proclaims that there still remains a Sabbath for the new covenant people of God. But I'm not going to make that argument this morning. We could discuss what a Sabbath is. And why the Lord's Day meets all the criteria for a Sabbath. With its gathering of saints. With its worship of God in a specific way. With its proclamation of the word on that day. With its ceasing from works. And its call to meditate on the Lord. With its specific offerings and so much more. But I'm not going to do that today. Dear ones, we can make a defense for all of those things. But I believe that we have offered sufficient sermons over the past four years for why the Lord's Day is the Lord's Day and why it is a Sabbath unto the Lord until He returns. Here's what I think needs to be addressed. Whether or not we will bow our knee to God's Word or maintain our resistance to it. How many, brothers and sisters, how many have turned away from churches because they have simply refused to accept the Lord's day as uniquely belonging to the Lord and a Sabbath unto the Lord? Some have called people like me and you if you hold to the confession. Legalistic for believing that this is the Lord's day. And that it is a Sabbath unto the Lord. I wish that they could give a biblical defense for their accusations. Some have denied the language of, of the Sabbath, even in our confession. Calling the language, listen to this, too rigid and lacking freedom. Hear that? Too rigid and lacking freedom. Listen to our confession. Chapter 22 in, in, in paragraph 8, listen to it. The Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord when men, after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering their common affairs aforehand, do not only observe and wholly rest all day from their works, words, thoughts about worldly employment, do you hear that? And recreations, but also are taken up the whole day in the time, in, in public and private exercises of worship, and in duties and necessity, uh, and in the duties of necessity and mercy. There are those who read, read these words and who reject every word and every, every syllable therein. I wonder, what is your position this morning? You've heard the paragraph. And as you're thinking about your position, I would like to ask you this. What exactly is the confession saying that the scriptures teach concerning the Lord's day? Our confession is confessing that the Bible teaches that the Lord's day, here it is, is the Lord's day. 
The Lord's day is the Lord's day. That it is a blessed day that has been hallowed by God and set apart for God. That is what our confession is, is saying the Bible teaches. The confession is calling us to then yield up to give what belongs to God. It is not just a day that belongs to God. It is those who have been called out of darkness and into His light that belong to God. Therefore, if it is the Lord's day and we say that He is our Lord, then we must practice the day as our Lord has prescribed for us. He's calling those whom He has purchased. We have been purchased. We do not belong to ourselves. We have not been bought with gold or silver or any other matter. Perishable matter. We've been purchased, as Peter says, with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we have been purchased by Him. We are not our own. Our confession is saying the Bible is calling us, you, the people of God, to give to God what belongs to Him. Well, what belongs to Him? Not just the day, but your lives. To come under His Lordship. To yield up our lives to Him on His day. We all want the promises of God that are offered by a crucified Christ, don't we? But they don't come without a crucified life. Hmm. There is no crucified Christ without a crucified life. The one who hung on the cross in our place calls us then, therefore, to take up our cross and follow Him. And yes... That means, again, our lives are not our own. All that we have and are is summed up in Christ. But think further through our confession with me. It calls us to prepare our hearts for worship. Let me ask you this. How did you prepare today for the Lord's day? How did you prepare yesterday for today? Have I set my house in order? Are there things that I put off yesterday so that I may do them today? Have I done all my shopping? Have I gassed up my car? Have I prayed that I might receive or be ready to receive God's word? Have I prayed for the minister who God will use to deliver his word to me? Or have I just gotten up? Okay, let's go. Do you see the difference there? What is our confession calling us toward? A holy life. And those who most often reject a Lord's Day Sabbath are those who say, that's too uncomfortable for me. What will I do when the final Amen is spoken? What will my conversation be when our pastor says, go on in the grace of the Lord, go on? What will I do between the time that we say goodbye and then say hello again this evening? Will I rest from all of my works and by doing so display that all work has been accomplished in Christ? Our confession even calls us to cease from words and even thoughts of worldly affairs. Words and even thoughts of worldly recreations. Will I cease from even thinking about something? Say, gosh, I can't even think about it. I can't even think about the world. I can't even talk about the game. I can't even give you an alert that's shown up on my phone about a worldly event that's taking place. I can't even see who just texted, who just emailed me. That seems a little rigid. Listen, that seems lacking freedom. No, brothers and sisters, our confession is saying the Bible is calling us to a greater freedom. Freedom from this world. 
It is calling us to reject the actions of Lot's wife. It is calling us not to look back. No, don't look back. This is the Lord's day. All of the blessings that are offered to you on this, why are you looking back? What's there that's more pleasurable? What's there that's more glorious than what you are receiving now? Well, I don't know, let me check my phone. Oh, that looks pretty interesting. Why is our confession doing this? Because you've been given a new life. You've been given freedom in Christ. You are being nurtured and nourished by particular means that Christ is providing for you. You've been given a day in which you are blessed to taste the great blessings of what Christ has laid up for you. And the confession in Scripture is saying, what's more glorious? What's more enduring? What do you long for more? And that's the real crux of the matter, isn't it? Some may say, well, am I sinning if I do? the wrong question, isn't it? It's the day where the saints are reminded of what God has done for us. It's the day that we are refreshed by the glorious truth that this is not our home. And God is calling us onward and upward. But if we keep looking back and saying, what? But what about this is why we cease from the worldly affairs. This is why we cease from the worldly talks, worldly employments. Do you want to talk about your job on this day? Here's what our confessions in the scriptures are ultimately doing. They're telling us what heaven's going to be like. They are preparing us for glory. And I don't mean to be insensitive with this point. But if you have a, a loved one who is a believer, who has gone on to be present with Christ, let me say this carefully, gently, but truthfully, they're not thinking about you right now. Not in the least. You are not even in their mind's eye. Nor are they thinking about this world. They're not thinking about the job that they left behind. Hmm. They're not thinking about how much money they hid under the mattress that someone who they don't want to get might get. They are a mess in the presence of Almighty God. They are basking in the wonder of the beauty of vision. They're not thinking about jobs. They're not thinking about possessions. They're not thinking about friends or family that they've left behind. That might be jarring for some of us. Don't pray to them. You're not a Catholic. But it is the absolute truth. They are in the absolute, complete joy of being in the presence of Christ. And what is our confession in the Bible calling us to do? It's calling us to get ready to join them. Well, that will, is what it will be like for you. You who have placed your faith in Christ. It is a call to die to ourselves. It is a call to turn your eyes upon Jesus. It's a call not to love this world. It's a call to long for glory for each glorious Lord's Day after Lord's Day. When we attend to the means of grace, it is a call to long for eternity. And we are so easily distracted, aren't we? What's on TV? It doesn't matter. Some of us have shelves of books. Read one. Some of us have our Bibles that we have not cracked open until we meet for worship. Read it. Some of us are not gathering with our families and talking about uh, uh, godly things. Talk to them. What did you learn today, son or daughter? What did you learn today in how to grow? Call them to faith. And if they're in faith, Call them to grow in their faith. Challenge them. Rest your bodies. Take a Lord's Day nap. They're glorious. When we gather for worship, I heard Sinclair Ferguson say this, when we gather for worship, we are worshiping on the outskirts of heaven as it were. 
What a thought that was when I first heard it. We're worshiping on the outskirts of heaven. Are you not citizens of heaven? You're not all the way there yet. It's just a matter of shedding this flesh. But you will be. Would you embrace this day that God has given to you as a gift to look forward to glory? That means that Christ has ordained for us to worship Him in a specific way. And we are to give the entirety of this day to Him. Why? Because He's given us the entirety of this day to remind us of where we are going. This is the Lord's day. Give it to Him. And let me say something else. And don't let family who comes over unexpectedly throughout the day or events throughout the day on this day deter you from what you know this day is. Tell them, you want to come church with me? What a great witness that would be to them. Hey, I'm heading to church. I can't stay. I appreciate you visiting me. I'll see you afterwards. I need to go meet with the saints. Don't you want them to worship with you? Don't you want to see them in heaven? I, I, I'll say this. Oh gosh, I'll say this. I was so thrilled to see how you all responded to one another when you all first saw each other in person over the past 10 weeks. We were praying in the office and of course, Dustin has the loudest voice in the church. <laughs> hey, hey. What do you think your reception will be when you get to heaven? Dustin! <laughs> Tony! Isaac! You will be greeted by Christ, of course. But then you'll be greeted by this. Do you know that when we greet each other, it's a taste, it's a taste of the reception we will receive by the saints in heaven when we are there? Oh, you should greet one another. And when we are greeting each other, it's a give and take. That's what it, it's going to be better than that. Imagine the multitudes embracing you. Yes. And you together praising God with Him. Third, and very quickly, the Lord's fence. <clears throat> I'm not going to go into the passage, but you can write it down. Hebrews 10, 25. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves as some have done. But as you see the day drawing near, gather meat. Christ feeds and nourishes us through the means of grace. He calls us to meet on his day. And he provides a, a, a fence or a sheep gate where we are to gather. It, it is, if you will, an enclosed pen called the local church. It is the body where we confess that we are joined together and intimately connected. Hebrews 10.25 says that we are not to forsake the gathering, but that we are to meet with the saints. Christ promises to meet with His people, to bless us through these particular means, to nourish our faith, to strengthen us on our journey home, to give us audible words, visible words, and that it is no wonder why he has also provided a place for us where all of these things can take place. And we are commanded, don't miss it. Imagine, imagine the things that you have set as a priority that you will dare not miss. That The things that you have set a priority that, that nothing will stand in the way of. You being a part of it, no matter what. Uh, my wife, uh, about three years ago, two or three years ago, she was thinking about buying me a Father's Day gift. And it was, it was approaching. And she said to me, honey, I want to take you to go see your favorite band in concert. And I saw how much it was going to cost. And I said, if you're going to spend that much, it's game five of the NBA Finals. <laughs> and it's taking place in Oakland. If you want to buy me something, let's go to that game. I got off of work at one o'clock in the afternoon that day. When I had gotten home, my wife being the most amazing wife who ever lived on the face of the earth, 
said purchase. And I was dancing on my feet. You mean we're going? You, you mean we're going to the game? We're going to the game. I called mom. You need to watch Nazareth. I'm driving to Oakland in about 20 minutes. Drove him to mom's. We flew all the way to Oakland. <coughs> Nothing was going to... I didn't care if a CHP pulled me over on the five. We were going to get to Oakland. When we got there, nothing stood in our way. Well, we could have watched it on TV, couldn't we? It's better being there. It's so much better being there. Trust me, I was sitting with all the drunks at the very, very top. High five and drunk people. Giving hugs to people I had never met before in my life. Yelling at the top of my voice. My wife would tell you, I was screaming my lungs out. And it was better than me watching it at home. What will stop you from the gathering of the saints? Isn't it better than being at home? I can always say to my kids and to my grandkids, Game five, oh, I was there. I was there. And they're going to look at me with big eyes. Grandpa, you were there. I don't know what I want my grandkids to call me yet. But Grandpa, you, no, no, whatever. You were there. I was there. They'll be amazed by the pleasure that I had to be in the presence of the game. You have a greater pleasure. We have a greater pleasure. We are in the presence of Christ. He has promised to meet with his people. There is a, 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 a heritage that you can pass on greater than saying, I was at game five. The heritage of saying, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Pass that on to your kids. Pass that on to the next generation. Let them know and experience the great blessing of belonging to Christ. I'm saddened by those who do not long for the means of grace. I'm saddened by those who don't care to see you or meet with him on his day. They're disconnected. And let me say to you, fair warning, there may be some who you used to see prior to the virus that you might not see anymore. Because 10 weeks apart from Christ really puts things into perspective. Do I really want him? Hmm. Or can I go about life the same old way and be just fine? We've, been not, we've not been created to worship apart. I pray that over the past 10 weeks you've learned that I need to be with the saints. I need the means of grace. I need the presence of Christ. And the structure and boundary that Christ has made for his people is the local church. By it, he is leading us, feeding us, and guiding us home.